race is on and it looks like heartaches and the winner loses all. Hello and welcome to the In the Ring Pedigree podcast. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornital, back from the Breeders' Cup and in the Brooklyn Bunker once again. And I'm joined today, he's usually more of a co-host, but today he's almost more of a guest because he's been making a little bit of news himself. A little bit later in the show, we're going to hear from Ramiro Restrepo of Facing Tipton and uh, also somebody with a little bit of newsmaking going on himself. And we're going to wrap things up with Graham Motion, but we're going to start off with Windstar Farms' Sean Tugel. Sean, how are you today? Doing great, Pete. Uh, had an excellent time out in California, beautiful weather. Great racing at the Breeders' Cup. Lots of great stories to talk about. Um, and here we are back at the, the breeding sales in, in Kentucky. And Phasic Tipton, Night of the Stars, as always, was uh, an electric night and, and full of uh, great stories to talk about of, of people claiming mares and selling them for a million five and, and breeding and racing horses and reaching the pinnacle and, and watching it all come to fruition. And, Night of Stars and Keeneland kicked off yesterday, book one, and that was strong trade as well. Great international trade, and and uh, looks like it's going to continue on day two today. Looks looks like it's doing well, and, and should continue on over the next uh, week to ten days, hopefully. I'm going to rewind a little bit. We spent so much time on this show over the year talking about the juveniles. We obviously had these five juvenile races at the Breeders' Cup, and. Let's start off with the Juvenile Colts division, uh, which was thrown into a little bit of chaos, I'd say, with the result in the BC Juvenile with the, the, the favorites, horses we talked about all season long in eight rings and Dennis's moment, uh, stubbing their toes, if you will, and we end up with this chaotic result. What are your current thoughts on this division, Sean? Uh, you know, I think uh, certainly after the, uh, the start of the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, the whole division took uh, took a new turn. Um, I think we were everyone was expecting a, a major showdown between eight rings and Dennis's moment. And uh, I don't know, you know, as soon as Dennis's moment drew the rail, I had this like icky feeling about the whole situation. And uh, unfortunately, he didn't break well, and 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 the whole race kind of got turned upside down. Um, but with that being said, you know, I think the horse tis the law that we didn't see running the Breeders' Cup. That's going to be running the Kentucky uh, Jockey Club is certainly a horse uh, that now I think, you know, as far as dirt horses has kind of jumped up to, uh, to the top of the division. And uh, certainly the recent um, Nashua stakes winner there, Independence Hall by Constitution, uh, same sire as uh, Tis the Law uh, with his 101 buyer over the weekend and extremely impressive. Uh, I think uh, outside of uh, – uh, Dennis's moment stumbling. I think we're looking all over the country now at uh, the other dirt horses to see who's kind of the, the leader of the pack at the moment. It sounds like you think the two-year-old champion is uh, is likely to be by constitution, whichever one of those two it is. But I don't want to give a total short shrift to the winner, Storm the Court, who won with an 87 buyer speed figure. Was this son of court vision on your radar at all, or looking back after the race, did you see something we might have missed? Um, you know, looking at the horse, um, uh, in his previous race in the American, in the American Pharaoh, he ran a very good number on, on the thoroughgraph. So he was a horse that, uh, when I was handicapping the race, he did stick out as, as a horse that ran a very good number previous. 
Now, with that being said, I did ever have him in consideration to be the winner. Um, and going back to your, your thought on the on the leading juvenile for the year, I think this could be the year. And, and I've thought this for the last couple of years in the Phillies division is, is I thought maybe the turf Phillies were better than the dirt Phillies. And, and at the moment, I'm going to tell you right now, I think four-wheel drive and structure, probably your, your two leading candidates both being undefeated, uh, on, you know, with uh, Tiz the Law being probably, if he wins the Kentucky Jockey Club, being the, uh, the major dirt two-year-old Colt uh, up for the championship. Let's talk a little bit about the juvenile Phillies. British idiom gets it done. Dona Veloce impressed me a whole lot. Sean, it looks like one who, for me, just as a horse player, one who might ultimately thrive going shorter. If there was a future book on the test stakes, I'd love Dona Veloce in that. But from a breeding perspective, she ran certainly well enough going long that there's got to be a temptation to keep her going long. Uh, what do you think we're going to see out of British Idiom and Dona Veloce from here? Um, look, British Idiom was very impressive when she won at Keeneland. Uh, she was definitely my, my first or second choice there uh, in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies. She ran very well. Looks like she secured the two-year-old Juvenile Phillies. Uh, Donna Veloce gave me no indication that stretching out is going to be an issue with her. Okay. Uh, I think you have to give her major credit, having drawn the rail, second lifetime start, and stretching out around two turns and missing by a head to win the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies. Totally so, fair. Nothing there told me that she struggled with the distance. Yeah, totally uh, fair. Now, does, would she ultimately, is she going to be an acorn-type filly or a test filly? Could she be that? She could be, but uh, I don't see any reason to shorten her up, uh, at least here for the foreseeable future. you got to try, right, based on everything you said and the fact that I would imagine from a breeding point of view, the, those, most, those more prestigious longer races are, are worth more than the, the shorter races. Is that a correct assumption? Well, I mean, any time you put a G1 behind uh, Philly and Mare, it, it doesn't matter whether it's short or long. So, uh, you know, Simon and those connections are, are very shrewd. They have a lot of uh, experience with, with these high-end Phillies, and I'm sure they'll, they'll manage her very well. I mean, a great example of a Philly uh, who ended up not stretching out um, as well as she does look like she's going short is, is a Philly from the same connections, Bellafina, who ran – uh, phenomenal there in, in her race uh, in the Breeders' Cup, and uh, I thought outran her odds extremely well. So uh, Donna Veloce, which, however she ends up going, certainly uh, right now she's on the Oaks Trail, but uh, certainly an extremely high-class filly. Immense talent on display there from the from the top two for sure. You mentioned four-wheel drive before. I heard that uh, an Ascot tilt might be in play. I would imagine the King's Stand would be the race. What do you think? Could this be another candidate for Wesley Ward to get that elusive next win at the Royal meeting. I sure hope so. It'd be great for the, the connections breeze easy. They've put a lot of uh, investment in this, in this industry and, and they, they absolutely love going over the Royal Ascot. And uh, for my adventures over to Royal Ascot, uh, I, I get how big of a celebrity Wesley Ward is over there. So <laughs> would love to be able to see one of uh you know, our top elite three-year-old Colts go over and compete uh, against the best Europeans at Royal Ascot. What do you think it meant for American Pharaoh to get a winner in his first year at the Breeders' Cup? Oh, it's huge. I mean, same for Palace Miles with, with structure and, and, you know, with, with Constitution having Tislaw grade one winner and, and some of the, uh, the elite two-year-old Colts on, on, uh, on the standing. So, 
Look, anytime you can get out of the box, the marketplace is, is very fickle and it's very judgmental. And uh, you're, the shine on your shoes can wear off pretty quickly in the stallion business. So for being a, a Triple Crown winner who has immense expectations uh, for him to be able to, to do what he's doing, lead his crop at the moment, and um, and have a Breeders' Cup winner in his very first crop is is if if he was in in my barn, I'd be very excited. I'm not I'm not surprised one bit. We'll follow that story along. We've talked about Structor a couple of times already on the show. We're going to be talking about him a lot more in a minute. But was just curious if you had any particular other thoughts on this year's Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf. You know, um, I thought the race was wide open. Um, you know, as, as we said, our good friend Ramiro, who was, it was very instrumental in, in that horse's early career, uh, will tell you the story about that horse later. Um, but uh, look, Chad Brown, uh, the horse showed up, and um, I thought uh, he, he, he performed extremely well and stands himself as, I think, a horse that should be highly considered as two-year-old champion this year. It was, it was a fun, the, the, the one thing, and I'm sure Ramiro will touch on this, is Jeff Drown's a a good client of, of, of mine and uh, it's been fun to follow him along and, and was with him the day he bought the horse. And uh, you know, he's just, he's a great guy and, and nobody deserved, deserved it more than him. And he was in the box next to us when he won and it's uh, he had his five kids there. So it was, nice. uh, that was pretty cool. Future fans for sure. It was a, a really fun run uh, to watch passing I think 10 horses in a quarter of a mile or something. Oh, <laughs> man. You know, it was one of those like, he, with the trip he was getting and, and playing, you know, those exotics and, and some uh, pick fours and stuff. You start to look around when you kind of dismiss a horse and it looked like he just wasn't going to get the trip. And I can't remember which horse I started laying my eyes on. It was kind of like the same thing as with the with the turf is I thought Bricks and Mortar was, wasn't getting the trip. And I started watching Anthony Van Dyke and then he got stopped. Next thing you know, here comes a champ to save the day to hold on and, and make it three uh, legs in the pick four. So uh, <laughs> kind of that was the same thing when structure emerged from the pack. It was uh, I didn't have the other two that were in front of him for the last 50 yards of the wire. So we needed structure there. So he got up. That was good. That's good. Good, good, good red boarding there, Sean. I'm impressed with, with your ability to sneak that in there. We got to talk about one of my favorite stories from this year's Breeders' Cup. The 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 some of the best Breeders' Cup breeding you'll ever see gets it done as a at a big price. Sharing this daughter of Spitestown out of shared account, scoring at a big price and with a very impressive time figure too. I'm guessing we'll talk about her more with Grand Motion later in the show. But I'm guessing the sky may be the limit for this one. Wow, I mean, you want to talk about uh, when you sit down in, in the cold winter months and. And you take a Breeders' Cup winning mare and you say, how can I breed a champion? And uh, I guess it takes a champion to, uh, to breed a champion. So it was, it's really neat. You know, Spitestown champion, uh, Breeders' Cup winner himself, uh, shared account, Breeders' Cup winner. And then now to have, have a uh, two-year-old uh, Breeders' Cup champion as well is, is pretty exciting. Um, you know, I mean, that's, this is a filly that we've been discussing for a long time. Uh, who really touted herself there early on at Saratoga. We've talked about it several times on the podcast. And, uh, you know, she came in almost under the radar, you know, Graham being conservative and taking her uh, to Laurel there where she won the Salima and, and uh, you know, kind of came in under the radar. But she certainly wasn't – she's not under the radar anymore. And that was a, a, a very powerful move. And, 
And Spicetown's first ever grade one winning two-year-old, which is crazy. That is and, crazy. Uh, but he's up to, to 16 grade one winners now. And uh, hopefully this, this filly can, uh, you know, she's bred to be any type of, of filly. And, and this could be one three years, four years down the road where, where we're talking about a Hall of Famer. And remember when she won the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies at, at San Anita. So she'll be a fun one to watch. I hope she stays uh, safe and, and sound. Let me ask you something, just another side breeding question. How important is it from a breeding point of view, or not at all, that she showed the ability to at least act on dirt in that off-the-turf race at, at Saratoga? Does that increase her value to any degree, or does it not matter compared to the G1-type accomplishments? Well, certainly it uh, there, there's no value there. Uh, you know, the Grade 1 Breeders' Cup uh, is, is, you know, that's that's – that's the whole kit and caboodle right there but uh it gives you a thought that maybe you don't have to keep her on turf and just imagine if she's a uh breeders cup juvenile turf winning today like this and they might do a little bit of like the mendelssohn route and, and try her on dirt and and uh just think about how just think about uh what her value would be uh in the night of the stars if she walked in there as a breeders cup juvenile champion and uh grade one winner on dirt uh so she'd be uh she'd be one of the most expensive mares to go through a sales ring probably let's talk about the night of the stars sale a little bit more and then i want your thoughts i know you were a very active also at this uh this keeneland sale that's still ongoing but give us a brief uh, overview of night of the stars oh let off with uh 100 very exciting weanlings uh leave the gun runners and the arrogates were, were unveiled for the, the first foals by those uh, very exciting young stallions. Um, and then, you know, it, it is the cream to the cream of, uh, of race fillies and, and in full mares and uh, certainly dis- didn't disappoint. Uh, saw champions like Shamrock Rose go through, saw great stakes winners like Road to Victory, saw, you know, the very impressive Wonder Godot. Uh, I could go on and on and on, but uh, we also saw the uh, the end of uh, one of the greatest careers in our industry, Terrence Collier, who is one of the best announcers you'll ever hear in your life at a, at a horse auction. He called it an end, and what a fitting end that the last mare to go through the ring that night was uh, a mare called Transplanted for for a good client, Jeff Nixon, who was the damn Dennis's moment. Uh, and so, uh, no no better way to to end uh, an illustrious career for for a great person as Terrence uh, to finish on a $1.4 million mare. So uh, I think everybody at Phasic Tipton was uh, very happy, very pleased. I know Ramiro will, will probably expand upon it. So, But uh, it's, it's always a great night. It's, it's even, Just as a fan and, and as someone who just, you know, is in awe of, of the elite uh, animal that, that we all try to breed and raise and, and race, uh, it's, it's quite the evening. I saw Terrence Collier got the standing ovation at the end in addition to the ovation for the for what was going on in the ring. I think there was a little bit extra directed at him. Sean, I want oh, yeah. I want you to talk about your involvement in the in the Keeneland sale. You you had uh, you had some news to report. Yeah, so um you know, with my job I'm, I'm able to to uh to work as an agent and and buy and sell and trade uh horses for clients and and uh, a couple of years ago at the OBS March sale, uh, kind of as I was starting to, to ramp up the Windstar Bloodstock uh, department and uh, Rudolph Brissett was uh, going out on his own, we, uh, we picked out a filly, uh, 
a violence filly from the Brandon Rice Ricehorse Consignment. We ended up getting her for uh, she RNA'd for for ninety five thousand and and uh, Rudolph. He was telling the story outside of the consignment yesterday, and and uh, you'd be proud of us. We had some vuv there uh, corked outside. We were selling talk vuv to me, so we were trying to, every marketing angle possible. A little right? bit of the bubbly. Uh, so we were. Uh, it's a great story. So he um, he had ninety thousand dollars saved up to go out on his own as, as a trainer. And, and he was at the sale and I was at the sale and I, and I said, man, I, I love this. I love this violence feel. I just love her. Like I can't find anybody by her. And he's like, well, I think so he went and he, she had, she was sunburned. She was barefoot. She was probably a tick overweight. So, which is okay. You know, it, it's, you saw that she had a lot of improvement in her and she breathes really well. Just a really good mover, really classy Philly. So he, uh, he bought her for 60,000. And I don't know if he'd ever really told me how, how big of a risk he took, but uh, he took 60 of that 90000 he had saved up to go out on his own and, and bought the Philly. And, wow. and he said he told his, his wife, he says, don't worry, we'll find some partners. And he called and, and he called another friend of ours, we won't mention his name, and said, hey. And he said, no, I can't, I already bought one. So he called another partner. No, I can't, I, I can't. So he made two phone calls. And he couldn't get any of the horse sold, so he called a, another friend of his, and and he took 25%. So here they are. They they went on the journey, and and as ran as a two-year-old, she ran second, and uh, broke her maiden by 12 lengths at at fairgrounds, and her first star as a three-year-old was named Tedian Rising Star, and and uh, and Rudolph. He's the phone calls started coming in, so <laughs> so he he you know uh, for. You know, as the business partnership that we have, he, he allowed me to, to broker the deal on her after she broke her maiden. So um, we, we got we brokered the deal. Team Valor bought in uh, into the into the Philly for 50 percent. And and they went on. She she ended up running in their next start, ran second to Mia Mischief in the grade two, eight bells. She ran second to Monomoy Girl in the grade one acorn, uh, went on to win the Indiana Oaks. She sent, she ran second in the Presque Isle Masters this year. She ran the Alabama. Just a great journey for, for, for people. And, and Rudolph, uh, you know, still owned the mare. And, and uh, Barry was, was gracious enough to allow myself to, under the Windstar banner, to, to consign her yesterday. And, uh, and so we, we, we brought her over there and, and presented her to the, to the marketplace. And uh, we're rewarded and, and lucky enough that uh, John Moynihan and Barbara Banke, uh fell in love with her, and uh, we ended up getting 1.3 million dollars for her. So nice. uh, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. There was there was tears in the eyes, and uh, but uh, we I'll have to get you the picture. You should post it. It's a, it's a great photo of uh, Rudolph and his wife Brooke and and their one year old son uh, Ryan, and and they took a picture with the filly, and and without any any coaxing anything ryan the one-year-old baby just reaches out his hand and grabs the philly shank like like he's holding her <laughs> posing for a photo and, and so we got pictures of it and uh it's you know what what a what a what a moment to you know what a way to start your career is to go out and buy one for sixty thousand dollars and and get on her and ride her every day and and rub her every day and and you know really you know devote your life to to her and she she re- rewarded him and and uh, I wanted to get out the calculator last night to see see what his ROI was on, but uh, so he's uh, 
it's just a lot of fun and, and, you know, it's fun to do with your friends and um, that's what it's all about. It's a great story. I've had the pleasure of meeting the, the Brissette clan up in our area at Saratoga, hardworking, nice people. And it's always great when success happens to them. You hearing any murmurings about what the first mating might be for Talk Move to me? Well, uh, Ms. Banky says says they might keep her in training, which would be awesome to see. Wow, uh, cool! And uh, yeah, and, and don't know if, if she'll go back to Rudolph if, or if they'll they'll pick another trainer. But uh, so they're gonna they're gonna freshen her up from from what they say, and then uh, but she says Curlin will be in her future. All right, I I was glad to hear that, and that there'll be some fun names with that great name. Absolutely, talk to me. All right, Sean, I want you to uh, to give way. To our friend Ramiro, I want to talk to him a, b- a little bit more about the phasing Tipton sale and also about his involvement in Structor. Is he there with you now, or do I need to call him? He's, he's right here if you want to start talking. Hand him the phone. <laughs> We've never done such an inelegant transition on this show before, but it's all uh, we're, we're all among friends, so we're going to make it happen. Ramiro Restrepo of phasing Tipton, are you there? I'm here, Pete. Uh... I'm here acting as driving Miss Daisy slash chauffeur <laughs> uh, for, for Sean on the day, but uh, <laughs> oh, well, I'm, I'm glad to be on the podcast. Um, I'm, a, I'm a fan of both of you guys professionally and personally, so uh, pretty happy to be on it for sure. You're, you're very, you're very kind to say that. I, that might be the nicest thing you've ever said to me. So I'll, I'll we'll start. We started a good spot here today. Ramiro, let's <laughs> let's reflect back first on the phasing Tipton night of the star sale. You could hear Sean talking about it a little bit from from your perspective. What were uh, what were some of the highlights? It's the sale of the entire calendar that we we you know, we have circled for our biggest expectations, right along with Saratoga. Um, you know, obviously, of course, there was there was a couple of defections there that you can't control. With Bisu got stormy, but. Uh, all in all, we were really excited for the bunch that we had. You know, we ended up having 18 mares go over the seven-figure mark, including, you know, Blue Prize going for $5 million, which was incredible. Um, you know, best of luck to Larry Best with that purchase. Uh, but it was just uh, – it was fantastic to see, to see that kind of, uh, you, know, you know, explosion of just – buyers from all around the world, you know, uh, Japanese contingent and, you know, Don Alberto from Chile and, you know, the, the Europeans there. I mean, it was such a such a mix of, of buyers uh, at the highest level. It was just uh, just awesome to be a part of that. What is your role at a sale like that? Once the sale starts, you know, the work that we've all put in um, is over. But, you know, between, you know, just client relations and setting up uh, credit accounts and just making sure that everything is good to go as far as buyers green light uh for them to start bidding but you know we we work 24 7 365 you know developing these type of relationships with uh horsemen and the owners trainers etc to you know let them entrust us to sell these horses at the end of their career so you know it's uh it's a job that never ends really you know you're always on the clock um it's one of those things like, you know, you're like James Bond. You're just waiting for that next mission and the next sale. <laughs> but, uh, you know, at, at that sale, whether it's client relations, you're handling some phone bids or, you know, solving any problems that might pop up at the last minute. But, uh, you know, facing has been around for 120 plus years and they have such a formula for success, um, especially with a huge night like this. Uh, you know, you're just glad to be a part of it. And you're, and on a night like that, you're just there to troubleshoot anything that might come up. And 
like everybody else, you know, you have a front row seat there, courtside Jack Nicholson seats, <laughs> looking at these uh, awesome, awesome mares and, and foals coming in and being sold. And, you know, it's just an awesome, an awesome thing to be a part of. I know you're a huge racing fan as well, so on one level it might be disappointing to see the the horses who are who are pulled out from a short-term business point of view, but thinking about the big picture of life, what Midnight Bisou might go on to accomplish in Saudi Arabia, what Got Stormy may go on to accomplish at, I don't know, the Queen Anne at Ascot, and, and the idea of getting to uh, put them through the ring again next year worth even more i imagine it's not entirely a, a, a bitter feeling as, as a racing fan it must be a little bittersweet uh, well look you know from uh, from a work a professional point of view we've developed a great relationship with the connections and you know they entrusted us with with uh being able to market and and and, and sell those horses this year and you know god willing everything you know remains fantastic that they give us that opportunity in the future so you're not bittersweet in the sense of of uh or upset in any, any matter it's their horse and obviously you know um they want to continue you know with with bigger plans for the horses on the track and and that's a fantastic thing and and hopefully at the end of 2020 we'll be able to you know to, to proceed with, with with selling them again i i'm a horse racing nerd junkie i've been like that you know since i could crawl uh, I, I grew up, you know, not even reading in school. I learned to read the, the racing form in the program. <laughs> so uh, being able to see great horses, you know, run at four, five, and six, if, if possible, is, is always awesome. Um, you know, it, it, it gives the depth to tradition-rich older division races, and that's something that, um, you know, you grew up watching. And to have those big names, you know, be able to come back and participate in those big races is fantastic. So... Whatever you know, roads may lead for these horses. Best of luck to them, and best of luck to the connections. And uh, we hope to see them out of the stars 2020. I like it. I want to talk to you a little bit. Just one question about your background and where you grew up and how you got into racing. We've talked about that a little off air, but it's something we love to ask of all our first time guests on the show. Oh gosh, you know, I'm a, I'm a fifth generation horseman. My great greats started uh, on my mother's side. Uh, were you know, breeders, jockeys, trainers, owners in South America and Colombia. Uh, they came here in 69, uh, 1969 to New York. And my two uncles, Harold Alvarez and Louis Alvarez, and my, my grandpa, uh, Louis Alvarez. It's kind of, you know, coming over in 1969 is different than coming over in 2019. You know, yep. in 2019, you see foreign, international, South American, you know, horsemen coming over here. And they kind of can, you know, put up their flag and start working kind of right away in pretty prominent positions you know in 69 i think the climate you know socially was a lot different and they kind of had to start from scratch um whether it was as grooms or hot walkers and and you name it you know just to to get going and being able to afford a uh a u.s racehorse and and start being owners and trainers so you know i grew up um fortunately for me you know my mother uh, met my dad and kind of got him into the into racing in the late 70s and uh i was born in 78 so uh by the time i came around you know my my mom and dad had you know 30 40 horses you know not at once but you know throughout their career uh racing in the naira circuit so you know i'm a racetrack kid i grew up you know watching races swale was my first derby and got to see john henry and was even lucky enough to see Forgo and Kelso be paraded nice. uh, in Old Timers Day at Belmont. And those are just amazing childhood memories. So I grew up as a, you know, just a, a horse racing junkie and being able to watch 
my parents' horses. Some of them ran a couple of grade threes and such like that, but they never really were able to, you know, make a big impact as far as getting grade stick, grade stick placing. But, you know, just the thrill of, of, of being there and being around and just seeing, you know, the, the rush of a win is something that stuck with me since I was a child. Um, I went on my own professional career in, in beverage and, and in nightlife entertainment in Miami, but I would use sick days and vacation days to hit up all the big races, derbies and Breeders' Cups, et cetera. And uh, 10 years ago, my uncle got me into ownership. And, um, you know, from there, I kind of, you know, took off participating, putting together little syndicates with college buddies and, uh, you know, in, in the Florida market, um, we were lucky enough to win a couple of Florida Florida Sire uh, stakes, Florida, Florida Sire, you know, restricted stakes. And that led to a little more fun where I was able to participate in the sales, uh, buying, you know, into two-year-olds and attending attending the two-year-old sales. And kind of like, uh, you know, that, 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 that sixth sense that uh, was incubating in me for so many years, which is, you know, seeing racehorses and being able to identify – you know, some that have a little talent kind of have, it's kind of come pouring out, you know, and uh, uh, I got a job with, with Facing Tipton five years ago to the day. And, um, you know, I was very raw. I mean, my, my role has always been on uh, personal client relations and recruiting, you know, um, but I've been on a couple inspection trips annually with uh, spe- specifically in Ocala for South American and Latin, Amer- and Latin American owned farms. And uh, kind of playing the role of Robin to uh, Peter Penny's uh, Batman. <laughs> and, um, you know, I have to give a lot of credit to Peter. I wanted to give him a little shout out because, you know, he's taking his time from the day I started to point out a lot of little things that potential owners in the future look for when they're shopping for expensive yearlings. And, you know, pointed out a lot of the things that stand out in, 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 in horses. And, you know, that along with what ultimately is, you know, your gut instinct, you know, you combine those lessons together. And if you're ever lucky enough to hit up the, you know, the, the, the sales, you know, you try to put those, those skills together to, to buy horses. You made a good pop culture reference there with Batman and Robin. But when I hear your story about being born in the game, going to another career and coming back, I think about, uh, I think about Godfather part three, just when you thought you were out, they pulled you back in. (laughs) You know what? It's it's pretty awesome. I to to feel a familial connection to everything. You know, I'm one of 20 plus cousins, uh, yet the only one in the horse racing industry. So being able to carry uh, the the flag of of five previous Alvarez uh, generations gives me a lot of sense of pride. And <clears throat> whenever there's any type of success that may come up, whether it's through Facebook or um, on my own volition, you know, in my own uh, aspect of things. Uh, you definitely well up with emotion and, and your eyes get watery because you feel that pride, you know? For sure. And I'm sure you were feeling that pride over this Breeders' Cup weekend. I know you were involved with Structor, who we were talking about with Sean before. Tell me about the first time you laid eyes on this Colt. <laughs> you know, um, I was uh, I was cruising the barns at the, sale, the, the sales ground barns, and I had stopped by uh, Gainesway Consignment. Um, you know, I, I was always, I was a fan, like, as we mentioned, I've always been a fan of horse racing. So, you know, Palace Malice had a run, uh, there as a four-year-old that, uh, he was just the man, you know, I think when he got hurt and came back at, at, uh, in, in 2014, he, 
his last two races, people kind of forget a little bit of how of how uh, he was he put together such a, you know between the Met Mile and and the Westchester and a couple of those races how he was the man of of his division you know that year and um, when I, they pulled out the horse um, there was it was kind of like love at first sight you know uh, I'm sure if you talk to all the the, the great bloodstock agents that are so accomplished from the Donatos and Mike Ryan's and Gatewoods and Jason and Alex's and you name it when 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 Gordo's you know when when they see a horse come out of the come out of the, the stall you know they can tell you uh, you know it's like being love struck when you see a girl you know it's <laughs> it just it just hits you in the gut and uh, there was something you know kind of that resonated with me and you know obviously you always hear the cliche checks all the boxes per se but you know it's one of those things where you know everyone has their interest like in art or in music or in, you know, their loved one, you know, who end up, you know, who, being their loved ones. And, and, uh, when that horse came out, you know, he, he's a flashy colt. He's got, you know, interesting markings and, you know, he had a, a an athletic, uh, build to himself and he it just popped out and, and, and just caught my attention, you know, per se. It was fantastic that, you know, uh, my partners are, uh, Joe Pickerel, and his fiance Courtney, uh, out of Ocala, uh, they run Pick, Pickview Farm and Consignment, and you know we 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 work together cruising the barns and you know gosh reviewing thousands of yearlings to kind of put together a a, a group to uh, to pinhook in the future, and um, you know I, I, I it was awesome that when you know we sat down at the end of the day to uh, go over our marks. Uh, you know, I remember Courtney loving the horse, Joe loving the horse. So it was great that we were all on the same page identifying this horse on our shortlist. Um, you know, when when it was time for the horse to sell, um, you know, we had a, a certain fixed budget and it was one of those things like, you know, for as disciplined as you try to be when it comes to, you know, purchasing horses at any level, uh, when it got to that number, you know, there was there was just no stopping my my, my finger. It, it kept going up, and <laughs> we kept we kept striking and went. Uh, you know, kind of more than almost double what we initially planned. But you know, it's one of those things. It's like sometimes you're put in the right place at the right time. The, the story of his future purchase. You know, he went on to sell at the two-year-old sale for eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So, which was you know an amazing pinhook from one sixty to to eight fifty. Um, you know, that's a testament to to Joe and Courtney's work at the farm and how they, you know, brought him along and got him ready to the two-year-old sale. But, you know, Mike Ryan, who ended up buying him, he bred the mare, the the dam, the the full sister. He bought Palace Malice. So, I mean, there's just, he had so much connection to the horse and yet he, uh, he didn't see the horse at the yearling sale. So it's just one of those things, you know, sometimes fate aligns itself for you and we were at the right place at the right time and, 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 and loved the right horse. And it was one of those things that, you know, that was, you know, my, my pick of the group that we ended up buying throughout the course of the yearling sales. It was something that I, you know, that I had a strong attachment to and Joe and Courtney had a strong attachment to. And, you know, for for everything to work out the way it did on all levels, you know, where where the we, you know, we we, we obviously made a, uh, uh, an, an amazing sale at the two year old sales. And then for, you know, Mike Ryan to have his sixth Breeders' Cup you know, winner selected, and then uh, Jeff Drown and Don Rachel uh, to have, you know, the, 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 you know, to have their success and, and win a Breeders' Cup. It, it's just an awesome storybook from A to Z. 
Let's talk about uh, the experience at the Breeders' Cup and how well this horse ran. And uh, what did you think of the performance? Well, take me through your reactions to his trip. I I've watched many races with you, so I'm curious what you were saying. <laughs> yeah, I'm very, you know how I get. I'm, I'm, I'm an animated uh, virtual armchair jockey. Uh, <laughs> you know, look, I, I, had been, I had seen the horse a couple times during the week. Uh, shout out to Chad Brown, who's been so awesome as far as, as including us and letting us go by the barn and seeing the horse. Horses had been doing great. You know, Chad was quite reserved, but as the week went on, he, you know, he was getting, you know, even more confident. Um, you know, the horse in the paddock, uh, I remember being in there and, 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 and talking to, to, to Jeff and, 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 and Don Rachel, and they were, you know, like any owner on the big stage, you know, they're obviously proud and anxious to get the show going and, I just remember there were horses that were washed out and bucking and kicking, and this guy was like, cool hand Luke, man. I mean, he was just, <laughs> he was just as professional as could be. And I, I remember I, I kind of mumbled it a, a little loud. I was like, man, you know, he hasn't turned the hair, you know, to Jeff and and Joe who was there with me, and and um, you know, everybody was kind of just anxiously awaiting to what was going on. But it was just, you know, in a in a moment like that, the mental mental part of the game is so important, and he was just. You know, cool, calm, and collected. And, um, you know, they got in the gate. I Look, no lie. Chad had told me that in the middle of the week, he was like, how about we break fifth, you know, kind of like playing imaginary tale. He, Chad was like, how about we lay fifth? We're going to be in that pocket. And then the, the, the seas are going to part and we're going to roll home. And, you know, we all <laughs> want that ideal race, right? Um, so when, you know, early on, you know, he was sitting in that, in, in that proverbial pocket. But then, you know, he started getting – shuffled back a touch and jose ortiz sat there with alligator blood you know cool as could be and you know you're kind of just waiting for that eruption but you know i started seeing decorated invader moving wide and i you know you start seeing um the dan blacker horse moving uh well and you know you're kind of like well when when's our cue to go and and you know you're not seeing it and I can't imagine what, you know, what the owners were thinking, what the trainer was thinking or Joe and Corny were thinking. But, you know, I was just like, gosh, you know, you're you're not on the point of being let down, but you're you know, you're 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 like nervous, you know, because you're not seeing that 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 explosion that everybody else is putting through on the turn. But when they straightened up and you see Jose shakes the reins at him, Pete, and all of a sudden it's like, you know, some, you know, for those people who say, like, you know, do they know, do horses know that they're racing or they know where the wire is, they know what they're doing, you know, you can show them a race like this, a race like Bricks and Mortars race, and it's like these horses know, you know, like he 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 came off that rail and there was a little seam with gear jockey there and he just kicked it into overdrive and it's almost like eight, eight nine horses across the track at one point yep. at the top of the lane and to see him just go on and, you know, as a fan, whether you're you have a connection to the horse or you're a gambler. Uh, and you start rooting, and the more you root, you see the horse move forward. It just encourages you to, to start rooting like a demon possessed, you know. So, uh, I mean, I started riding this thing, and I started screaming, "Get him up, Jose! Get him up, Jose! Get him up, Jose!" And I can't even—I was in such a tunnel vision, Neo from the Matrix zone, uh, rooting. I can't remember my surroundings, be, or, you know, who was going on the surroundings around me. But when the horse hit the wire. And I yelled out a roar, and I was like, get him up, and, and he won. There was a guy next to me, an older gentleman. He goes, you got him up. And, and that was just like, <laughs> I awoke. And, um, <laughs> you know, I, I was able to turn around and, 
uh, we, Sean, I was in Sean's box and behind me was, you know, Jeff and his children and his wife and high-fiving the kids who had missed a hockey game for the race. And, you know, the, that's the most beautiful result, you know, to see Don and Jeff smiling like proud owners that they are and the children going bananas on both of both parties. They were flexing and, and yelling and, and then they were so welcoming. We went to the winter circle and the champagne toast after and to see the kids celebrating with the trophy and, you know, to see the, the families all together over there was just, I mean, man, it's so storybook, you know, cause, uh, from my, from my, from my perspective, Pete, I mean, you're out there looking at thousands of yearlings that, you know, amongst great bloodstock agents who, you know, have such buying power and great eye and, and tons of success. And, and, uh, you know, you're here with a musket, <laughs> you have with a couple, a couple musket bullets only. And, uh, you know, everybody dreams of being able to buy a good horse at one point or another, and and it just gives you that confidence, you know, for the future to to keep on, you know, pulling the trigger when you have a strong conviction and and, and your gut tells you to that you gotta, you know, you gotta have this horse, and and if you're lucky enough to have the budget to buy it, um, you know, you, you go ahead and do it, and then to have it, you know, win at the Grade One level, and at a Breeders' Cup no less. I mean brother it, it, it brings a lot of pride to me and and i'm you know <clears throat> to talk to my mom after the race and oh, hear fantastic. her you know crying and <laughs> oh, it's just so bananas man oh that's great the historical yeah. record will show that jose ortiz <laughs> rode structure to victory in the breeders cup but there's the the tiniest assist in the boxes to ramiro restrepo for rooting <laughs> for rooting him home I got to talk about the future with this runner. Uh, based on pedigree, it certainly seems like there's a lot of options. Anything that you've heard uh, of interest in terms of what might happen next for this one? Uh, you know, uh, obviously, you know, Chad Brown gave interviews not only in the winter circle, but after uh, regarding the horse's, you know, potential future on, on dirt. Um, you know, we trained them at, at Joe Pickerel trained them, not we. <laughs> I was a, I was a bystander. That's <laughs> Joe's job. You know, Joe Pickerel and, and, and Courtney, you know, they, they brought this horse along on the dirt on their farm, and he was a standout there. You know, his breeze was on the poly track, but, you know, he acted like a really good horse at Joe's farm. Uh, we had, you know, nine horses on that farm, including South Bend, who won the street sense. And a really nice tap at half to Verrazano, who's with Ron Ellis for M Racing out in California. Yep. So, you know, there were, and first deputy that Calumet bought that runs today uh, at Aqueduct. So there were some talented horses on that property and, 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 and structure at, you know, acted like, you know, one of the best ones on there all, all, all winter. So there was nothing that surprised me about what Chad said. It was pretty cool. You know, earlier in the week, I, I got a little bit of an inside when, Chad kind of mentioned that to me when I visited him at the barns at Santa Anita. And, you know, he, he, everything he said is public, you know, what he repeated to me, he repeated it publicly, you know, which was the horse trains like such a good thing on dirt. He didn't want to, you know, kind of rush him cause he's a true to turn classic horse. Didn't want to rush him uh, sprinting at Saratoga and took advantage of the, of the two turn mile and 16th there. And then obviously the horse went on and handled the grass in, in the pilgrim and in the Breeders' Cup juvenile turf. But, you know, he trains like a good thing on dirt as well. And uh, yeah, I'm sure he's going to take a break right now, and he's heading down to Florida and uh, see what the spring awaits for him. I know he's going to have a prep race and then see what kicks on. I mean, um, maybe he'll go the good, good magic route with the bluegrass. We'll, we'll, we'll see what, what, uh, 
what's up his sleeve. But uh, I look forward to getting down to Florida myself, where, I base, where I'm based in Miami, and being able to uh, go up and see Structor in a couple weeks at Palmetto's, I'm sure, or Payson, wherever they're going to have him this this uh, this winter, and and kind of just. Uh, you know, stay on as the cheerleader. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's good to have a cheerleader like you. It's good to have options. Your inf- enthusiasm for this game is infectious. I've seen it hanging out with you in the past, and the world gets to hear it in this interview. And thank you so much for your time today, Ramiro. Uh, we'll be rooting for you. Thank you, brother. Thanks for having me on. Thank you, brother. Oh, and uh, big shout-out to Tugel, who had his big uh, mayor talk to himself <laughs> at 1.3. That's awesome. You know, he... I remember him showing me to her at the two-year-old sale. So uh, he, he had to go love this Philly since the day she are and ate from the rices. You got to give him that props. Um, you know, this is such a tough game, Pete, uh, as a gambler, as a fan, as a, as a, as a bloodstock agent, as an owner, that anytime you get luck, you know, you got to congratulate and give props because we all need the racing gods on our side. So props to Tugel and then props to Kinchin catch. Uh, as strong as he did on Breeders' Cup Day. I was there to see that celebration, too. Good stuff, my man. Well, thank you, and we will be talking soon. All right, brother. Take care. Bye. And now I'd like to welcome to the In the Ring Airwaves to close out this edition of the show, Breeders' Cup winning trainer, Graham Motion. Graham, how are you today? Good. Thanks for having me. Wanted to talk to you about this past Breeders' Cup, specifically Sharing's win in the juvenile turf, the juvenile Phillies turf, and what an amazing story to have trained uh, the mom, shared account, to a Breeders' Cup win, and now also the daughter in sharing. I'd love to hear you compare and contrast these two. Can you, can you tell, when you train generations of horses like this, are there things that you see that you, you can tell that they're family? Yeah, I mean, certainly sharing has showed a lot of shared account qualities early on. Um, shared account was just an extremely kind individual. She was very generous on the racetrack, and she was very classy on the racetrack. She really was a pleasure to be around, and I think sharing has sort of followed in her footsteps in that regard. Um, this really has changed a lot just in the last two months since uh, since Saratoga even. Uh, and she's grown up a lot and looks more and more like a mother every day, to be honest. Her shared account was a, a big, uh, kind of what I would call a lanky filly, um, covered a lot of ground in the morning uh, in her, and in her races. And I think sharing is uh, very much in line to, to, to be, be more and more like her every day. At what point did you start thinking Breeders' Cup for sharing? So I think Aaron and I have kind of always been on the same page here. Um, look, she's a filly I liked a lot from the start. I, I don't take two-year-olds to Saratoga if I don't like them. So obviously we had high hopes for her. Uh, Manny had worked her up there a couple of times. He was very high on her. And I think after she broke her maiden um, on the 18th of August when it came off the grass, you know, Aaron and I started thinking, what's our best path to get her to the Breeders' Cup. Um, and along the way, we're going to find out if she's good enough. But I had a pretty strong feeling that she would be good enough. She showed great toughness on the dirt that day, winning rather easily. At that point, did you give any thought to keeping her on the dirt surface or was turf going to be where she ended up all along? You know, again, we talked about it. 
Um, she always handled the dirt well at home, and I think actually shared a count, broke her maiden on the dirt. So that wasn't a complete surprise. Um, but I think we felt if she was going to raise to that level of the Breeders' Cup, you know, we needed to get her on the surface that she was going to be at her best, and we figured that was going to be the grass. So no plans to head back to the dirt anytime soon? I think it's unlikely. You know, I think with the Phillies she beat on Saturday, you know, she's really sort of raised the game, and I think that puts her in a, in a superior level. And it's, um, I think at the end of the day, look, the grass is a kinder surface. Um, if she has an affinity for it, that's probably where we'll keep her. You mentioned Aaron. Of course, that's Aaron Wellman of Eclipse Thoroughbred Partners who own her. How far back does your relationship go with him? It actually goes back to when I first started training for Team Vela. Um, when Barry Irwin hired me uh, the year that uh, Pluck won the Breeders' Cup at Churchill, um, Aaron uh, was working for Barry and Team Vela, and that's when I first got in, got involved with them. So our relationship kind of goes goes back a good ways. Another sharing question, a sharing and sharing shared account question. You've got shared account who was by Pleasantly Perfect and sharing by Spitestown. What are the differences you see in them vis-a-vis uh, -vis those those two sires, if any? I think probably sharing just has a, a little more, a little quicker turn of foot. Um, she, you know, she was, a, she was a little more precocious as a two-year-old. I think all this kind of coincides with her being by a horse like Spitestown, who probably puts a bit more speed into her. That certainly makes sense. Spitestown, such a versatile sire. Have you had many by him? I, I've certainly had several over the years. I can't say I've ever had one as good as this filly appears to be, or even close to that matter. How progressive do you think sharing is? Do you, do you think there's a lot more to come from her as she approaches her three-year-old year? I mean, I, I think and I hope there is. I mean, I think probably it's a, a bit of a surprise what she's achieved at such an early age. Um, definitely her mom was a filly that came round as she got older. She, she was a filly that needed time to mature, whereas this filly has been very precocious from the beginning. Thinking about long-term goals, is that something you've talked about with, uh, with Aaron yet, or are you going to figure that out one day at a time? You know, other than sort of planning a little bit for this winter, I'd definitely like to give her a little break now. Um, and, and I don't mean just kicking her out for a month or two. I mean just sort of backing off her and, you know, lightening up on her training and, and getting her turned out in the paddock daily uh, for, for three or four weeks. Um, I think a race like the Tampa Oaks makes a lot of sense for us uh, in March. You know, it's a long year um, next year, and I'd like her to go into it fresh and so that we can kind of get her back, hopefully, to the Breeders' Cup next year in, in the best form possible. When you think back to that day in November of 2010, when her mom upset the apple cart in the Philly and Mare turf at a very big price, what were your expectations heading in that day? And, and talk me through what it was like watching her get to the wire first. You know, I felt very good about Sherry Count that day, but she was coming off a really disappointing effort in the flower bowl, which was kind of a head scratcher for us. So, you know, had she run how I'd thought she should run in the flower bowl, I think she would have been shorter than her odds of 40 to 1. 
Um, having said that, I don't ever go into these races expecting to win them. I think, you know, I'm thrilled to get these horses to the Breeders' Cup, but I also realize how hard it is to win those races. So um, I think we benefited that day very much like on Saturday from a, a brilliant ride from Edgar. He saved all the ground. Um, you know, Henry Cecil, who trained midday, was kind of one of my childhood heroes. I grew up. He was one of the reasons that I got into the game um, was following him uh, and his runners growing up in Europe. So for me, just to be running against uh, midday and her trainer, Henry Cecil, that was a thrill in itself. But to come away and beat her in a very close finish, um, you know, those are, those are lofty goals. They're not things I expected to do in my <laughs> career necessarily. Did you develop a per personal relationship with Cecil at, at any point? I did not. I, I knew, certainly knew him. My parents knew him growing up to a degree, but I, I was, you know, I, I never would have uh, aspired to go up and talk to him. He was sort of uh, on a bit of a pedestal back then oh, and still is to this day. So. That's fascinating. That's, that's, such, uh, that's such interesting stuff. What are your earliest memories of the Breeders' Cup? When did you uh, become aware and start following it? You know, I don't know. I, I think it's something anyone that was in racing followed it very much like you would the Super Bowl. It was something we looked forward to when I was working for Jonathan Shepard. I mean, now that I'm thinking about it, probably Stormcat getting beaten at Aqueduct by uh, Tasso is one of my earliest memories. You know, I worked for Jonathan at the time, and I remember sitting in the living room at Jonathan's house that day watching Stormcat get beat right on the wire. Um, in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. You know, my own personal memories, uh, you know, the first year I went was when it was in Texas at Lone Star. And we took this long shot called Better Talk Now, who was <laughs> 27 to one when he went to post, I believe. Uh, I ran a filly called Filmmaker that year, who I liked a lot, who came back. She came back to run, I think, three times in the Breeders' Cup and Better Talk Now came back to run five times after that. And also I had a little two-year-old filly called Dance Away Capote who finished fourth, I believe. So that was my very first memories. It was an amazing experience. Um, Better Talk Now obviously won. And I've been fortunate enough to go back every year since. I think we've name-checked three of your Breeders' Cup winners, but there's a fourth as well, isn't there? The main sequence uh, was my other of winner course. at, uh, at Santa Anita. Um, and that was that was a little different because he actually went in as, as one of the favorites and again got a spectacular ride from from johnny velasquez that day um and beat andre farb i mean these are guys again that i grew up you know just reading about so um you know great memories it's it's not a secret that it's sort of my my favorite time of year i love going to the breeders cup i love I think what I really love about it is the international competition. I mean, I'm running in the turf races, so we tend to be running against horses from all over the world, and that, that fascinates me. I love watching them train that week of the race. That's almost as much fun to me as seeing the build-up to the Breeders' Cup as the day of racing itself. Those are magical mornings. Does it feel like more pressure when you're saddling a favorite at the Breeders' Cup than when you have a long shot? Definitely. You know... But having said that, there's still pressure because you wouldn't be there if you didn't feel like you belonged. So, you know, as we saw this year, there were plenty of, of scratches leading up to the race, whether it was horses that had 
had injuries or whether it was horses that have been sick. You know, there's a lot of traveling involved. So, you know, I feel a lot of pressure because I feel like, you know, it's kind of the culmination of a year's work to get them there. So you want to get them to the race on that day in the best shape possible. And, and Sharing really was in, in the best shape she could have been. She had a great week out there at Santa Anita. She just handled everything so well, which I thought she would. Um, it's neat to get a horse to a race feeling that good about how they were doing. I don't want to dwell on this topic, but you did send a tweet that was very meaningful to a lot of racing fans who were obviously shared uh, the intense emotional experience of the breakdown in the Breeders' Cup Classic. I was just asking if you have any message for people uh, in racing at this difficult time. Well, like I said in my tweet, you know, we came close to having almost a perfect day. Um, you know, I thought bricks and mortar was spectacular. I don't think I'd ever seen him in the flesh, and that's why I commented on him in my tweet, because I just, he caught my eye, and he's just a spectacular-looking horse, and he was so brave to win that day. Um, you know, the two fillies that beat the boys, um, what a spectacular race, and to see these two brave fillies uh, fighting off the boys in the, in the mile on the turf. And then for Vino Rosso to get revenge over Mr. Farish's horse in the classic. I mean, this is stuff that books are written about. These were amazing stories. And Santa Anita, if you haven't been there, it is the most beautiful setting. And to see these magnificent animals racing in this most amazing setting. And it was just devastating to, to see the horse get hurt in the classic. I think it was a gut punch to everybody. But try as we might in this game, unfortunately, we're always going to have injuries. This is something we cannot avoid. It's, it's the same in any sport. There are going to be injuries. But the Breeders' Cup and San Juanita took huge steps to avoid anything happening last weekend. And I really admire what they did. I don't think anything could have been more vigorous than the vet checks they did on the horses but unfortunately it just goes to show that some things are going to happen we, we don't live in this perfect bubble perfect world and try as we might injuries are going to happen at some cost Graham motion thank you so much for your time today and godspeed in all of your endeavors thank you that's going to wrap this edition of the show i want to thank sean tugel i want to thank ramiro restrepo and i want to thank Graham motion most of all, I want to thank all of you, the listeners, for tuning in, downloading, checking out this In the Ring Pedigree podcast, hoping that we can keep this thing going for a good long time, and we need your support to do that. So we appreciate you telling other folks about the show and continuing to listen and give us feedback. This show's been a production of In The Money Media. In The Money Media's business manager is Drew Coatney. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. He'll be back on the show soon. I'm Peter Thomas Fornital. May the hammer drop your way.